morning, everyone. Isn't it wonderful to sing about the Lord and uh, specifically Jesus? Let's have a prayer together um, and. Father, we just thank you so much for the love that we feel from you and from one another. We thank you for calling us together as a body and teaching us day by day, week by week, how to be more like you. We pray now for a rich and powerful anointing on your word. We don't want to just hear a sermon, Lord, or hear Jim Grinnell. We want to hear from you. So we pray that uh, the message this morning would be right, and what's not right would be made right by you. And um, Father, that we'd be listening not just with our minds, but also we open our hearts and our souls to you to be impacted by your Holy Spirit. So we just thank you, Lord. Pray you'd open your word to us and um, that we would make progress in this thing you've gifted us with, this holy faith. We praise you. We bless you. Conform us to the image of your Son, Lord. In Jesus' name, we're asking these things. Amen. I want to begin uh, this message with a question, and that is, uh, who would you say are the ten most influential people in all of history? There's a man named uh, Dr. Michael H. Hart. He is a Jewish um, astrophysicist. He had his undergraduate degree at Cornell University in mathematics and later earned a Ph.D. in astrophysics at Princeton University. He also holds graduate degrees in physics, astronomy, computer science, and law. So the man is no dummy. Um, but he wrote a book called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. He wanted to write it from a secular point of view, and interestingly, he did not put Jesus Christ at the top of his list. He put Mohammed because he said Mohammed was not only a spiritual leader, but also a military and political leader. Um, he, he listed Isaac Newton second. He didn't explain that one. Uh, Jesus Christ was third, then Buddha, then Confucius, then St. Paul, then Tsai Loon, I think I may have that right, inventor of paper, Gutenberg, Christopher Columbus, and Albert Einstein. It's uh, funny to me that though he didn't uh, put Jesus first, that um, if you look at the religious affiliation of these 100 people, 40% of them are Christians. It says a little bit about Maybe it's ironic that, that, uh, that he listed Mohammed first, and yet 40% of the 100 most influential are Christians. Another author, Drew uh, David Brees, 
points out the power of ideas and how these ideas influence people long after the founder's death. Uh, his list, not necessarily of the most influential, but of very influential people who rule from the grave, he calls it, seven men who rule from the grave, is Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, Julius Wellhausen. Um, you may not be familiar with his name, but uh, he introduced religious liberalism. Sigmund Freud, John Dewey, using education as a means of social change. John Maynard Keyes, about economics. And Soren Kierkegaard, existentialism and uh, neo-orthodoxy. But now that we've cleared away the, the big guns, uh, in a sense, you might remember that George W. Bush, when he was first campaigning for the presidency, was asked, who's the most influential person in your life? And he just very quickly and without uh, seeming to give it a whole lot of thought said, Jesus Christ. Well, that was not the right answer as far as the media and the intellectuals were concerned. But as far as we're concerned here today, that is exactly the right answer. Jesus Christ. We're here to celebrate that great life. Amen? More than that, to worship that life. To proclaim, in fact, that no other life is even in the same league. Because this man is the God-man. He's the uniquely begotten Son of God who gave himself for the sins of the world. A perfect sacrifice sent from God the Father. The title of my message this morning is No Better Life. There is no better life than the life of Jesus Christ. There is no better life than the life changed by Jesus Christ. There is no better life than the life spent serving Jesus Christ. And there's no better day than today to surrender to the one who is life. Amen. Hallelujah. There is no better life than the life of Jesus Christ. Would you open in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse well, we'll read 1 through 3 together. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. These verses are familiar verses. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, verse 2, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What I'd like to key in on is that two-word phrase, exact representation. This is from a Greek word that denotes an engraving tool or an embossing tool. He is 
meant, it's meant to say that he is the exact image of God, he has the very stamp of God, and he is the very essence of God. Vine says this, the phrase expresses the fact that the Son is both personally distinct from and yet literally equal to him of whose essence he is the perfect imprint. The Son of God is not merely his image, he is the image or impress of his substance or essence. It is the fact of complete similarity which the word stresses. There is no better life because he is the exact representation of God the Father. There's no better life because he is life. Do you remember all his statements he made about himself and equating himself with life? He said, I am the way, the truth, and what? And the life. I am the resurrection and I am the bread of. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son to have life in himself. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. My sheep hear my voice and I give eternal life. To them. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. There's no better life because he is the life, the source of life. We believe so many things about him, don't we? We believe this Jesus Christ is the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah and Christ and Savior of the world. We believe this Jesus Christ is the only begotten seed and Son of God, the King of the Jews, the Lion of Judah, our comforter and conqueror of sin. We believe He is the Lord, the Chief Shepherd, the Word of God, the Mediator of a new covenant, the Rock and author of life. He is the unspeakable gift of the Father, the effulgence of God's glory, fully God and fully man, full of grace and truth. He's beautiful, isn't he? So beautiful and sublime. We believe he was undefiled by sin and demonstrated God's love, God's gentleness, and God's justice and confirmed his words with undeniable miracles. He was completely obedient and faithful to the Father's will and humbled himself by death on a cross. We believe he existed from the beginning and his authoritative rule is his by right and he is at the right hand of the Father. We believe he has risen from the dead and that he is now crowned with glory and honor that He has sent His Holy Spirit to empower us and lives to make intercession for us. And we are just getting started, aren't we? We could go on for days about who Jesus is, how majestic, how glorious, how beautiful, how sublime He is. Just 
getting started. Paul Mayer is a um, professor of ancient history at Western Michigan University, and he wrote a foreword to uh, Alvin Schmidt's book, How Christianity Changed the World. And here's what he said. This is another reason that there is no better life because of the influence of Jesus Christ. Paul Mayer says this, even knowledgeable believers will be amazed at how many of our present institutions and values reflect a Christian origin. Not only countless individuals, but civilization itself was transformed by Jesus Christ. In the ancient world, his teachings elevated brutish standards of morality, halted infanticide, enhanced human life, emancipated women, abolished slavery, inspired charities, and relief organizations, created hospitals, established orphanages, and founded schools. In medieval times, Christianity almost single-handedly kept classical culture alive by recopying manuscripts, building libraries, moderating warfare through truce days, and providing dispute arbitration. It was Christians who invented colleges and universities, dignified labor as a divine vocation, and extended the light of civilization to the frontiers. In the modern era, Christian teaching properly expressed, advanced science, instilled concepts of political and social and economic freedom, fostered justice, and provided the greatest single source of inspiration for the magnificent achievements in art, architecture, music, and literature that we treasure to this present day. There's no better life because he's the exact representation of the living God. There's no better life because he is life and the source of life. There's no better life because of his unsurpassing influence. I want to tell you, I am all in. I am sold out to this God-man, Jesus Christ. How many of you will agree with that? I am all in. I am sold out to this God-man, Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Indeed, there is no better life. There's no better life than the life of one who's been changed by Jesus Christ. You may not be a preacher, you may not be a leader. You may not be anyone worthy of note or highly esteemed in your own eyes, but if you've been impacted, if you've received Jesus Christ, 
You are a living miracle. And God is cleaning us up from the inside out. How many of you can say, I know God is at work in me. I know he's at work in me, cleaning me up. And so this is your testimony from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Then these two words, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Howard Irwin is a professor of theology at Oral Roberts University, or at least he was. I don't know if he's still there. But he said, he had this quote that has always stuck with me. The man with an argument is at the mercy of a man with an experience. The man with an argument is at the mercy of a man with an experience. How many of us have had an experience with God that is undeniable? Undeniable. I remember when I was uh, 17 and friends were witnessing to me about, about Christ, how I went off into the mountains of Canada and uh, received Jesus Christ. When I looked into my heart, what I saw is probably what you've seen. Great darkness, uh, lust. Uh, the big one for me was hypocrisy. Um, just feeling that I was such a fake and such a phony and so worried about image. And, uh, and also I just felt so shallow. And I knew that I needed a Savior. And God sent friends to talk to me about Jesus Christ. And so I went into the mountains and I, I asked the Lord to come in. And I want to tell you something. I felt him come in. I felt my sins uh, be released and forgiven. An experience with God. There's no better life than the life that has been changed by Jesus Christ. There's a song, an old Bill Gaither song, Something Beautiful, Something Good. And I was debating whether to sing this song for you. And uh, I looked out my window, and this huge hawk just went whoosh, like that. So I thought, OK, God, I'll sing the song. Now, you may think that's super 
But I'll tell you what, the hawks, God has used the hawks around my house to encourage me during sermon preparation. I remember so many times I've been in my office there or looking out the window, and, and we don't normally see hawks, uh, but, but some do live around the house. But it's just amazing whenever I have a decision to make uh, that's a little risky for me, uh, I'll get, this hawk will go by. And one Sunday, this really sealed it, I was going to preach a message that I thought was pretty dangerous. I was in a lot of turmoil over it, and I came out, and there is this hawk perched on my truck. I've never seen a hawk perched on a vehicle before, but that just, okay, God, I guess you're using this hawk to speak to me. So here's the song. Um, Something beautiful. Something good, all my confusion, you can sing with me, he understood, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Want to do it again? Okay, I thought Joel would say yes. <laughs> something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Hallelujah. There's no better life than the one that has been changed by Jesus Christ. Third, there's no better life than the life spent serving Jesus Christ. Monday night I was here at the Medvan and... Um, Actually, no one requested prayer, and so I was just visiting with people, and there was this very elderly woman sitting by herself, and so I made my way over to her, and we got talking, and her name was Connie, and she had been married to a preacher for 38 years, and she was a little bit confused, uh, but she wasn't confused about that, and when I said, Connie, thank you. For, for all those years of, of ministering in and serving in the kingdom of God, supporting your husband, she, she, she would just beam. And so, enjoying that, I said it several times. But is the Christian life really the best life? Perhaps those in the best position to answer are the Christian martyrs just before they give up their life for the faith. If anyone would have some doubts, you would think it would be them. But it's hard not to think of Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, second century Christian, disciple of John, when he was asked to light incense to Caesar and uh, renounce his faith. He said, 80 and six years have I served him and he never once wronged me. 
How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? What a beautiful response. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in prison a few days before his death, wrote this, Daring to do what is right and what fancy, not what fancy may tell you, valiantly grasping occasions, not cravenly doubting. Freedom comes only through deeds, not through thoughts taking wing. Faint not nor fear, but go out to the storm and the action, trusting in God whose commandment you faithfully follow. Freedom, exultant, will welcome your joy. Jim Elliott, who died the year I was born, 1956, is reported to have said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And then in a 1999 article by Charles Colson on Cassie Bernal, he writes, Cassie was in the school library reading her Bible in Littleton when the two young killers burst in. According to witnesses, one of the killers pointed his gun at her head and asked, do you believe in God? Cassie paused and then answered, yes, I believe in God. Why, the gunman asked. Cassie did not have a chance to respond. The gunman had already shot her dead. As her classmate Mickey Kane told Larry King on CNN, she completely stood up for God. When the killers asked her if there was anyone who had faith in Christ, she spoke up and they shot her for it. Her martyrdom was even more remarkable when you consider that just a few years ago she had dabbled in the occult, including witchcraft. She had embraced the same darkness and nihilism that drove her killers to such despicable acts. Cassie's brother Chris found a poem she had written just two days prior to her death. She wrote this, Now I have given up on everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and die with him. So whatever it takes... I will be the one who I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. It seems to me for all his great learning Dr. Michael Hart cannot yet see the truth. How true it is that knowledge puffs up but love builds up. How true is the statement, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And by the way, I just want to say parenthetically, if you haven't had an experience with God, but you've given your life to him and you have faithfully served him, that verse is for you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Hang in there. I also think of Proverbs 28, verse 5. The second half says, that those who seek the Lord are the ones who understand all things. Finally, there's no better day than today to, to surrender to the one who is life. Paul said to the Corinthians, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And again, we can learn from the last words of people, but this time let's learn from 
not martyrs of the Christian faith, but of skeptics. It's said of Jean-Paul Sartre that his last words were, as an existentialist, I failed. David Hume, the famous atheist, screamed out, I am in flames. Voltaire, the famous skeptic, his nurse said, for all the money in Europe, I wouldn't want to see another unbeliever die. All night long, he cried for forgiveness. And Sir Thomas Scott, one time president of the English lower house, said, up until this time, I thought that there was no God nor hell. Now I know and feel that there are both, and I am delivered to perdition by the righteous judgment of the Almighty. Have you surrendered to the one who is life? I just wonder if there's someone here who for the first time wants to say, I surrender to that great life, Jesus Christ, the God-man. I wonder if there's someone here who might want an opportunity to just stand as a way of saying publicly, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I wonder if there might be a young person who wants to stand and say, I'm not riding on my parents' faith anymore. This faith is mine. I own it today, publicly, in front of my body, my family of faith. Maybe there's someone here who's been slipping with various problems or just uh, doubts and yet, the Holy Spirit is, is working on you, asking you to fully surrender once again. Perhaps there's a husband whose wife needs to know that you are fully surrendered to God. And what a shame that she has a question about that. Maybe there's a wife whose husband is not sure that she is willing to fully surrender to God but you are. Why not let him know? So let's just take these in order. If you would like to take a stand for Jesus Christ for the first time in your life, you haven't committed your life to him, but you would like to this morning, I'd like you to stand. The Bible says that we can't be ashamed, that if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. So if you would like to stand, and, and say, I surrender fully to Jesus Christ. Would you do that right now? Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you have not had an opportunity just to stand in any public way and make a profession in that way that I am fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. Would you stand? You'd like that opportunity just to, by your standing, make that declaration of faith. Please stand at this time.
Maybe you're a young person and you, you just want to declare. Uh, maybe you've done it before, but you want to do it again. I am fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. Don't be bashful. Please stand. Hallelujah. And then maybe you'd like to recommit. There's some ways that you've been slipping and you would like to, again, fully surrender to the Lord. Let standing be an act of faith that you make right now to say, Lord, I want to, again, fully surrender my life to you. Today is a new day. I ask you to forgive me for the ways I've stopped moving forward or gone back. And then perhaps you want to stand as an act of faith to the Lord, but also to let your spouse or someone close to you know that I am fully surrendered. Would you stand? And then we're going to pray. I've asked Hallett to lead us in a song. I have decided to follow Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, I thank you for these who are standing. May we fully surrender, dear Lord, to you. There is no one like you, Lord. There is no better life. Thank you, Father, for convincing us again this morning that there is no better life than the life of Jesus Christ. There's no better life than the one who's been changed by Jesus Christ. And there's no better life than the one who serves Jesus Christ. We ask that you'd bless these who are standing, Lord. That you would accept them presenting their bodies to you as a living sacrifice. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow turning back no turning back I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided Still I will. 
How wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord and how wonderful to fully surrender to Jesus. Travel in many parts of the world and everywhere people are looking for a wonderful life and there is no more wonderful life than to be fully surrendered to Christ. For our benediction, let me read from the bulletin, the passage from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless all of you. If you'd still like to come forward for further prayer, the altar is open, and uh, otherwise have a glorious day as you follow Jesus. Amen. <laughs>